This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Uh, guys, I do want to jump on into the Word this morning. Are you guys ready? We started last week uh, in the book of what? Ephesians. I heard from a lot of you guys said you, you enjoyed the history lesson. How many of you enjoyed that? Very interesting, huh? So, uh, so we have been discussing uh, our identity, who we are in Christ, uh, those who have repented, made Jesus Lord of their life, and how in this world that's rapidly changing, we recognize that we're not of this world, and our faith is in the Word of God, which never changes. And so we don't have to be shaken regardless of what we encounter uh, in this world. So we started this series on the book of Ephesus, um, I'm sorry, on the book, <laughs> Ephesus, on the book of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians um, that, that Paul writes uh, to this, this city. We talked about how this city was, was very important in that day and age, had about a quarter of a million people that lived there, very similar to our society. Lots of immorality, lots of idolatry, things that we see in our society today. But even in the midst of that, God was there. His love was there. The Holy Spirit was shaking things up, right? He came through in power and in strength. A church was planted. It began to explode and to grow. Thousands were hearing the good news of, of the gospel, and, and thousands were putting their faith in Jesus. And God would use the church of Ephesus to, to shake the nations of the world. So we know that years later, actually it was the year 62 AD, Paul's sitting in a prison cell in Rome. The Holy Spirit puts on his heart to reach out to the church in Ephesus, and he writes these six chapters. He, he writes these, this letter um, to them, and, and his point was not to get on to them. His point was, in the first three chapters, to tell them, to, to teach them, to reinforce to them who they are in Christ. How I many you know that's very important, especially for new believers? Very important. And then he goes on to how to, in the last three chapters, explaining how to apply that truth in a practical way in their everyday life. So, uh, so moving on, we, we didn't even really get started in the book, and I'll be honest with you guys, on Wednesday I had 15 pages. That was a little much. I've cut it about in half, and we'll see how far I get. But uh, I, I'm not going to get more than the first couple of verses today. Uh, we are going to hit some other scriptures, but if you do have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, if you are following along online, the notes are on the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, you can uh, follow along on there. If you open it, hit more, hit events, and you will see it listed there. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, I actually did read this last week, but let's read it again. Uh, and, and by the way, um, I, I wanted to mention that... Um, uh, I'm going to do most of this because we're, we're going to go line by line. I'm going to mainly use the New King James Version. I will pull in some other uh, translations and stuff in the midst of it, but that's the main translation I'm going to go from. So verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So this is how Paul opens the letter. It basically starts at the beginning. It says, from Paul, right? Now, how many of you... If you look at this, I don't know how many of you know the meaning of the word Paul. How many of you know the meaning of your own name? Like, like my name, Robert, means uh, bright, shining fame and fortune is what my name means. Um, I, I actually had to look up because I actually hadn't really looked up our family. I maybe did a long time ago, but what's yours mean, Lauren? It is a leaf. The, Lauren does, does refer to the laurel leaf. Um, but when, when I looked it up, it, it actually comes from a Hebrew uh, word that means victorious one crowned with laurel. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, Shauna means God is gracious. Madison means happy, kind, caring, and strong. 
And Aaron means... <laughs> Brother of Lorna Madison. No. It means... It, Aaron means exalted and strong. And so if you look at that, all of our names, they have meanings. Anybody know what Paul means? It means small. How many of you men would love to have that name? Small. Small one. It can mean little. It can also mean humble. I think I would use the humble one, right? Um, but we know that there was this humility to Paul because we know that in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least of all the apostles, doesn't he? Uh, though we would probably consider him maybe to be the greatest. Uh, in Ephesians 3.8, he says, I am the least deserving of all God's people. Guys, we can learn from Paul that, you know, we need to, in the natural, we need to see ourselves as small. Big God, little me, Right? Um, of course, you know, we look at this and, and people don't like the, the, the thought of that. And they're like, well, Brother Philippians says I can do all things in Christ. Yes, it does. And Romans says that we are more than conquerors, right? However, what we've got to recognize that those statements are only true because the greater one lives in us. Right? Without that, we're small. And we see that in Paul. So, so in this same verse where Paul, the small one, calls himself an apostle. Now, this can sound weird to us because an apostle, that's a very important ministry office, isn't it? And you look at that, you know, it's, it's interesting because really Paul is showing us within the first three words, Paul, an apostle, it, it, he's showing us the two different worlds in which he lives, right? He's showing us the natural realm and the spiritual realm. So what does he say? He says, he says, from Paul, an apostle of Christ, small but great. And who's he writing to? The saints in Ephesus. And guys, this is, a normal, this is the same kind of thing because these people that he's calling saints are normal, natural human beings like you and I, right? They, they, they have weaknesses and failings. And he looks at them and he calls them saints. How many of you know that outwardly we can be small? And we can even fail. We can fail a lot. But if we have surrendered our life to Jesus, inwardly, we are saints. What does saint mean? It means holy. It means set apart. It means sanctified, right? That's who he says that you are. This is who Paul is writing to. Paul may have been small outwardly, but inwardly he was great. And he held the office of the apostle. Now, the Greek word for apostle is apostolos. And it simply means, in most simple terms, it means sent one. Now, an apostle is somebody who is going with a particular mission to a particular destination or to a particular people or, or whatever it may be. So, in Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is called our apostolos. Apostle, and he is called our high priest. Why? Well, because after his death, burial, and resurrection, he is sent to heaven with the direct mission of taking our prayers and our words of faith before the Father, right? He's our high priest. He's our mediator in heaven, taking our needs before the Father, right? That makes him a sent one. 
going to a particular place with a particular mission. Apostolos, apostle. Now, any of you like etymology? Anybody know what etymology is? <laughs> no, you do. Etymology is a study of the origin of words. Oh, yeah. I, I took a semester of etymology on purpose because I love etymology. I think etymology is awesome. And if you look at the etymology of the word apostle, it comes from the Phoenicians. It was a military term that was used in the Phoenician army. You know what the title was of the highest ranking officer in the Phoenician navy? Apostolos. It was apostle. So apostle can also mean one of high rank. Paul, the small one, an apostolos, one of high rank. And if we look at that, we know that the apostle, that position is important because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, it says, and God has appointed these in the church. What's the next word? First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. He mentions these gifts, um, the, these positions in the body of Christ, and he numbers them. Why does he put apostle first? I, I think that that would indicate that this is an important role, an important office. Wouldn't you agree? So he numbers them, and he emphasizes the importance of this position of apostle. Now, guys, if I'm completely transparent on this, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of actually a lot of ministry offices today, but one of them being the office of the apostle. Um, one thing I've noticed in, in the last decade or so is this, this title is being given out very freely to folks. And somebody gets a word from the Lord, uh, from somebody that the Lord says, you're, you're, you're an apostle. Well, the first thing they do is add it to their business card and put it on the sign out front, right? Oh, well, praise the Lord, I'm, I'm an apostle. People think that, um, you know, they, they expect everybody to respect, you know, the title of something of significance. They think because they've preached 500 sermons or they planted a church or because they, because they have five campuses, they are an apostle. But guys, the Bible is very clear that apostle the position of apostle is not, it, it's not a talent, it's not a gift, it's not an ability, it's not something that's earned. It's a grace that's given. It's a gift, it's a grace, a calling from God. A pastor doesn't automatically become apostle, an apostle after so many years of service. It's a specific grace that God gives an individual. And if you notice what we just read in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the offices of the body of, in the body of Christ, like apostle, they are appointed by the Lord. God has appointed each one, apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. Ephesians chapter 4, again in verse 11, it says, He himself gave some, by the way, when it says he himself, Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about Jesus himself. Jesus, he himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. For what? For the edifying of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Another evidence we see is back in that first verse, Ephesians 1.1. Again, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
he starts Galatians 1.1 in a very similar manner. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. But look at this. He says, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. As the Lord appoints apostles in the body of Christ. In the Bible, in reality, ministry offices were never appointed by an individual. Um, they were never voted on by committee, except for once. You guys remember it? <laughs> it was Matthias. In Acts chapter 1, it talks about Matthias. Was Matthias an apostle? What we know is, at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, they're on the hillside. Jesus tells them to go into all the world. What else does he tell them? He tells them to go into Jerusalem, right? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Comforter who's going to come and, and do you with power from on high. Did he say, and by the way, while you're there, appoint somebody to replace Judas. we got a number 12 is missing. Jesus, Jesus actually doesn't say that. We don't have any indication that that they were ever told to replace Judas Iscariot. But they did. And if you look at it, they cast lots. And they, as a committee, they appointed Matthias as the 12th apostle. Now, I'm not saying Matthias didn't love the Lord. I'm not saying he didn't do some great things for the Lord. But as a matter of fact, you guys know what he did next? Y'all know what Matthias went on to do? I don't either because we never see his name again in the Bible. <laughs> never. It's never mentioned again. So I'm not saying that Matthias was a bad guy. I'm not saying he didn't love the Lord. I am saying that it's possible. Jesus said just as in it's possible that the disciples missed it in that moment. They rolled dice to appoint somebody to replace and come in to be an apostle. Not the way it happened with Paul, guys. <laughs> that brother had a confrontation. <laughs> he was divinely appointed. We'll talk about that. But this is what the disciples did. And so, um, so I believe this may be one of the reasons that Paul opens Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, the way he did. Remember, I just read it. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father. I think that might be part of the reason that he words it and he says it like that. Many believe that Matthias was, a, Matthias was a, an apostle in name only, but that in reality that Jesus appointed Paul, and Paul was the one that rose up into that position and became the apostle in that place. And as a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 again, Paul lists, he, he lists a list of, um, of the apostles who had seen Jesus, and he includes himself in that list. Matthias isn't there. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we find that the apostles, that apostles to the church were not appointed until after the resurrection of Jesus. Now these same guys that were called apostles, except for Judas, the, the original, the, 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 the 12. Um, back in Matthew chapter 10, y'all remember the first time Jesus sends them out? And he tells them, and in Matthew chapter 10, it says, And when he had called the 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And then in verse 5, he says, To these 12 sent out, these 12 
um, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, do not go the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the sheep of the lost house, um, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now guys, these are the same guys that are together casting lots in Acts chapter 1. But you notice Jesus tells them not to go to anybody except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? What does Jesus tell them in Acts chapter 1? He says, go into all the world, right? Things have changed. Their role has changed. Their responsibility has changed at this point. So in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that apostles are given, they were given for the perfecting of the saints, and that Jesus is the one who appoints apostles and sends them out, not man. In the New Testament epistles, there are other people who are named apostles, there was Barnabas, uh, there's James, Apollo, Silvanus, um, and, then, uh, and then Timothy that are also named in there as apostles. But again, I believe that these are appointed by God, maybe confirmed and commissioned by man, but they are appointed by Jesus himself. You guys see this? So, do we still have apostles today? Some folks, some churches, some denominations say no. Yeah, of course we do, guys. If the apostles were given for the perfecting of the saints, well, who in here is a saint? Who in here is perfect? Just Seder. We're good. Sounds like we still need apostles, right? Because we're not perfected. They were sent for the perfect, they're sent for the, appointed for the perfecting of the saints. Yes, people are appointed by God as apostles today. And I'll tell you guys this, the way I view apostles, I see apostles more in the role of maybe traditionally more what we would have almost called a missionary. Now, I'm using that term very loosely. We all have different ideas of, of, uh, of, of, of missionaries. But apostles are, I, I, they're ministry pioneers, guys. They are paving the way. And perfecting the church. They're winning the loss. They're planning churches. And, and I, I, do not, I do not consider all missionaries to be apostles, but I believe that apostles are what we would consider to be missionaries. And, and it's funny the impression that we have of missionaries sometimes. Because we don't, a lot of times we don't look at, you know, you in the Baptist church, I mean, it's generally us up on the board, our missionaries. And, and you walk by and you're like, well, praise the Lord for them, you know, and you hear about them once a year. And, and that's about all we think of missionaries. And we do meet them. They've been separated from, you know, our society for a while. And they seem a little quirky and a little different. And, and you know, and, and so we got these ideas of, of missionaries. But we don't see their rank almost in our subconscious as high as we do other positions. But we need to stop looking through our own eyes and look through God's eyes. Uh, you know, modern day, the closest to me that I would know of right now, guys, I totally consider Dr. Leon to be an apostle. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we have been there. We have seen him for many, many years. He has been ministering all over the world, all over the United States, all over the world, doing crusade. We have seen him winning hundreds and thousands to Jesus. But he doesn't leave it there. He brings people together. He plants churches. He will stay there and help that church get established. He will send them whatever it is they need. When it comes time for him to leave, he is a phone call away. If they call and they need him desperately, he will jump on a plane and he will be there. He sends them all the materials they need to keep them going. He checks up on them and makes sure that they are staying on track. That's very close to what I see as the apostle role in, uh, in the New Testament. 
We need apostles. And this is who Paul is. By the way, let me mention, I've never heard Dr. Leon really refer to himself as an apostle. He's not caught up in titles. As a matter of fact, I remember him telling me one time how weird it was coming to the United States and somebody finding out he had a doctorate. Nobody had ever called him Dr. Leon before. He goes, what is up with these Americans and their deal with titles? He goes, he's fine with it. He's fine with everybody calling him Dr. Leon. It's kind of become a part of his name now, like Dr. Phil, right? <laughs> he signs things Dr. Leon, but he, did, he, he found it very strange initially. I've always, kind of been the, I've always kind of been the same way. People will come up to me and say, oh, should I, should I call you pastor? And I'll be like, if that's a role you see me walking in in your life, then you are more than glad to if that's what you would like to do, right? I would rather step in and actually do the work and prove the position through doing the work of ministry than requiring somebody to call me by a title. That makes sense? I know people who have been given the title of apostle and they get upset when somebody, doesn't ref- when somebody calls their name if they forget to call them apostle at the beginning of their name. They get upset if their wife doesn't call them apostle when they're at home alone, right? Or pastor or whatever it may be. <laughs> Guys, if I'm a pastor, then I'm pastoring, then I'm shepherding, then I'm equipping and people are following. I don't have to go around saying who I am and what I do. Does that make sense? Um. It's kind of like, kind of like men that go around quoting scripture to their families and reminding them that they're required to respect them. I hear that in counseling sometimes. I told my wife, I read her scripture said, and it says you respect your husband. Bro, <laughs> if you're walking in love and character and integrity and patience and putting God first, that respect's going to be there. You're not going to have to demand it, right? I believe if God has called you to a position, to a role, to an office, whatever it is God's called you to, you don't have to go around shouting it. You step into it, and it will be recognized. Amen? Getting back on track. Now, with... Yeah, we need to wrap this up. With ministry callings, by the way, we all in here said we were saints. How many of you know you all have a ministry calling? With ministry callings also come spiritual gifts. Gifts and callings go hand in hand. How many of you are so glad that God always equips us to do what it is he's called us to? He never leaves us high and dry. We're not scrambling for help all the time. No, no, he's giving you what you need to do what he's called you to do. Many times we want to operate a certain way. We we see somebody else and the way they operate in ministry and how God uses them. We want to be just like that. Wow, wow, that's appealing. God hasn't called you to be anybody but you, guys. Nobody can be you but you, right? And God has called you to it. Now, look, there there is a general calling. Yes, you are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You are meant to win your community and those around you to Jesus. You're meant to, to show the love of Jesus. But that's your general calling. How many of you know there's a specific calling on your life that is not like anybody else's? And that's what you have to seek after. We have to be seeking God to recognize where we uniquely and individually fit into the body of Christ and how that can be used and those giftings can be used to fulfill the general will of God 
in the world today. Knowing that no, as we get comfortable in our calling, he will equip us with all needed gifts to fulfill that. Uh, we know that 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts, but it's all the same what? It's the same spirit. Listen to this from the Passion Translation. Same verse. It says, it is the same Holy Spirit who continues to distribute many different varieties of gifts. Guys, who manages and distributes the gifts that are given to each of us in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that does it. Verse 5, and there are different kinds of ministries, different offices of ministry, different callings, but the same Lord. It's the Lord who administrates ministry callings and offices and gives spiritual giftings. In the Passion Translation, verse 6, it says, The same God distributes different kinds of miracles, giftings, that accomplish different results through each believer's gift and ministry as he energizes and activates them. Who's responsible for energizing and activating the gifts in our lives? We are, guys. God gives them. we got to energize and activate them. I, lo- I love that. Sorry, I just want to share that. Um, so it's God who works all these gifts according to his will and your calling. He gives you everything that you ever need. So first thing you need to do is seek after his call in your life. Paul, he had it. He was on it. He knew he was called to be an apostle. Yes, you're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But what is that specific calling on your life? He will give you everything you need to accomplish that plan. Back to verse 1 again, Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Guys, remember how I told you uh, Ephesians and Colossians go hand in hand? A lot of the same wording and phrases. Colossians 1.1, the next book, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, exactly the same words, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Back to what we were saying about saints here. Paul calls the individual members of the body of Christ, the members of the church, he calls them saints. But if you notice there, he doesn't just call them saints. What else does he call them? He calls them faithful. He calls them faithful saints. This is who Paul is writing to. What does faithful mean again? Holy, set apart, sanctified, right? He calls them faithful, holy, set apart, sanctified people that he's writing to. Now, let's compare this to the church today for a minute. Anyone who has genuinely repented and surrendered their life to Jesus is one of the saints now, right? Holy, sanctified, and set apart, right? Okay. It wasn't because of works. It wasn't because of what they did, right? It's by faith through grace that you're made holy, that you're set apart, and you're sanctified. But how many of you know that of the vast, vast multitude of people in the world today that are saints, that have surrendered their lives to Jesus, some are faithful but some are not, right? We've probably all been there at some point or another. But we were more faithful and a little less faithful at different points in our lives. These faithful, dedicated saints are what 
church leadership today would call the core of the church. Pastors know. They know their congregation, and they know the people that are going to be there, right? People that you can always count on that will be there. They know that these people will do what they say they're going to do. They know rain, sleet, snow, lack of sleep. They're going to be there, and they're going to be a person of the word and do what they said they were going to do. It's a core. It's faithful. They've proven themselves, right? Faithful is not a title. It's something that you prove. It's something that you walk out. It's something that you do, right? There are people within the church that prove themselves faithful. I remember back in the day, I remember back in the day when, when uh, Jack and Terry were coming and then they Raul and, and getting uh, no sleep, coming, working all night and coming to church. I met Dennis Zapala did the same thing. I remember him get, walking, walking up to church when we were on Ross Road and, and seeing his car there and seeing him laid back just snoring in the seat and trying, trying to get a few minutes of, of rest before church started. That's faithful, guys. Faithful. Been up all night long. Faithful. These folks are ready to step up, to fill in the gaps, to volunteer, to serve, even when they don't feel like it. They're always contributing. But it's not everybody, is it? It's not everybody. That's why within the church, actually it's not just within the church. In America we have, anybody ever heard of the 2080 rule? Maybe you haven't heard of the 2080 rule. It certainly applies to the church. All statistics point to the 2080 rule. The 2080 rule has shown on average in the church in America, 20% of the people do 80% of the work within a church family in, in the United States of America. They do, 20% of the people do 80% of the serving, 80% of the volunteering within church. 20% of the people, on a, this is average again, 20% of the people give 80% of the tithes and offerings. It's quiet, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's probably less than that now. 20% of the people do 80% of the praying. 20% of the people do 80% of the mentoring. 20% of the people will bring 80% of the food to a potluck. 2080. 2080. And actually, it goes the other way around, too. Did you know that the stats show that pastors allow about 20% uh, um, of the people to take up 80% of their time during the week? People going around the same mountain unwilling to make the necessary changes in their life. Did you know that 80% of new converts come to the Lord through the, through the evangelistic efforts of 20% of the American church? 2080 rule, guys. The 20 sounds like the faithful to me. The faithful saints. Now, the funny thing is, in recent years... I've seen more and more people that feel called to these Christ followers, saints, who feel called to ministry, but they're not a faithful part of the local church. They're not plugged in. They don't have a relationship. They're not investing. They want to do their own thing. They, they, they think because they, they, they went to four years of school, they deserve to be heard and followed. But they haven't been faithful. They haven't proven themselves. They don't want to put in the hours and the work and the tears and the sacrifice to prove themselves faithful. Guys, I don't know if you realize this yet or not, but the local church is a training ground. It's the opportunity to prove yourself faithful and allow God to promote you because he's the one that appoints, right? Allow God to promote you and to open the doors in your life. 
I, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but guys, it's usually within the local church that God raises up faithful saints into specific ministry positions. Some of the greatest preachers and ministers that you know of, that you respect in your life, they served and they proved themselves faithful for years and years and years and years. And God opened a door and promoted them and appointed them. And now they've got more influence than they could have ever imagined. But it started because they proved themselves faithful. This is who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the faithful saints in the church in Ephesus. Hopefully, you are seen as a faithful saint of God. Uh, so back to it. We'll hit verse 2, verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 2, grace and peace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is almost exactly the same greeting that we saw Paul use in a few other books, the same, almost exactly the same one he uses in Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Philippians and Colossians. He, always, he, he almost always says grace and peace. You guys, you guys understand that grace has to come first? You have to understand God's grace before you can receive God's peace. Some people are so consumed with doing their own thing that they never have peace. They're always irritated, always frustrated. They feel like they're trying to please God, but they're doing it through their own human natural efforts, and it's become works. They're always working, trying to please God, but when you're, when you're always doing that, when you're exhausting yourself, always trying to please God, how do you know when you've done enough? When have you, when have you reached it? When have you done it? Good, okay, I've pleased them. It never ends if you're doing it by your own standard, if you're doing it by your own earthly, natural means, in your own strength. You could have always gone to another service. You could have gone to another conference. You could have prayed longer. You could have read the Bible more. You could have given more. You always could have done more. You'll never measure up. And I will tell you, that's the voice of the enemy, trying to convince you. Again, like I said earlier, that you'll never measure up. You will never be enough for Father. And it's a lie from the pit of hell, isn't it? If you buy into this, you will always be frustrated and you will always be lacking peace. But when we get an understanding of God's grace, when you understand all that, that he's already done the work, the work you're trying to do to please him, he's already completed the work. It's done. When you understand that, all you have to do is receive his grace. And what will happen? You'll have peace. Yes, go to church. Go to conferences. Pray. Give. Dig into the word. But do it from a position of knowing that you're already accepted and pleasing to the Father. Then it's not duty and obligation anymore. You're doing it out of love. They're done out of love and devotion. We were never meant to serve or to operate under pressure. We were meant to serve God through grace, from a place of peace and grace. This takes the pressure off of us, really is what it does. One last thing I want to mention. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us 
that grace and peace, how many of you could use more grace and peace in your life? First, Second Peter chapter 1 tells us that grace and peace can be multiplied in our life by, anybody know what it is? It says through our knowledge of Jesus. So, yes, that tells me that we need to dig into his word. Because here's what his word, here's what God's word does. God's word increases the capacity within us to receive his grace and peace. To receive his promises. To receive revelation. To receive blessing. We need more capacity because here's reality, guys. God will not pour out to you what you are not able to receive. It's kind of like, like, like if you go to a restaurant that has free drink refills and you walk up to the counter and go, I'd like more sweet tea, please. And the lady picks up the pitcher and goes, pour it and goes, where's your cup? Well, I don't have a cup. Is she just going, okay, and just start pouring? Well, no, of course not. Not going to pour it out if you don't have the capacity to receive. God only pours out what we have the capacity to receive as his vessels. I don't know about you guys, but I want more capacity. Capacity to receive more grace and peace and blessing and revelation and influence. As we increase our capacity, he's able to impart more. Y'all remember Psalm chapter 23? David said, my cup runneth over. Guys, God is wanting to pour out more of his promises, more of all these things to you to the point to where you are overflowing. God has always wanted to fill you up. But what is your capacity? He only pours out what you're able to receive. If you don't have a cup, God's under no obligation to pour, right? It would all be a waste. The cup, the capacity, comes through our knowledge of God's word. As your knowledge increases, your capacity increases. Increased capacity brings increased blessing and influence. I like your cup. Guys, that's verses one and two. Next week, I'm aiming to complete chapter one as we begin to study God's plan for humanity. So pray for me because <laughs> there's way too much. There's, there's way too much there. But guys, I want you to examine your heart. Why don't you stand up? Stand up on your feet with me. Worship team, go ahead and come up if they want to. Guys, ask yourself, are you a faithful saint? That's the very first thing we need to get out of the way. If we're going to study the book of Ephesians, if we're going to study this letter that Paul wrote to the faithful saints, he's wanting to grow up the faithful saints. I want you to ask yourself, firstly, if you're a saint, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Secondly, are you faithful? Where is God in the level of priorities in your life? How's it? No condemnation. I'm not trying to condemn or beat anybody up. I, I, I get we all have different things going on in our lives. But you know, you know whether or not he's number one in your life. So I encourage you. Ask the Lord. 
And Lord, do you see me as one of the faithful? Am I going the direction you want me to go? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because I want to give you everything. Jump in, both feet. Dig into his word. If you need more desire for him, ask him. Lord, I need more want to. (laughs) Please increase my desire for you more than I have ever had before. Ask him. He'll give it to you. Ask for increased capacity to receive everything that he is pouring out on your behalf. He's got great plans. He's got great plans for you. But if you're standing there holding a little Dixie cup, there's only so much he can give you. Right? One of the little paper snow cone things. Fill me up, Lord. Guys, I want to be found holding a couple five-gallon buckets. Right? We need to increase our capacity. First question, are you a saint? A saint is holy, sanctified, and set apart. You can never be that on your own. You can only be that if you choose to lay down your life to die to yourself and allow Jesus to live through you. You can only be wholly sanctified and set apart by receiving the sacrifice of Jesus as your own. It's the only way. Repenting, turning from your old way of doing things and saying, Jesus, it's you and me to the end. It's the only way. If you don't repent and turn, if you don't confess Jesus as Lord, guys, you're not one of the saints. Absolutely, it's a heaven and hell issue. They'll, they're, they're trying to water that down today. A lot of churches are. Absolutely a heaven and hell issue. But I will tell you this. You may have heard the statement. Maybe you haven't. Earth is the only hell that a Christian will ever know. What happens to you on this earth is the worst that it will ever get. And if you receive Jesus, he will walk with you. He will help you when you fall. He will lift you up in the tough times. He will give you strength. He will encourage you. He will empower you to be everything. True call that you will live life to the fullest if you put Jesus first. But if you don't, if you're not a saint, if you reject the loving call of Jesus, this earth is the only heaven that you'll ever know. This is as good as it will ever get. I implore you, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to him, It's time to be counted as one of the faithful saints today. It's time to be holy, set apart, and sanctified by God. He loves you. If you haven't made that decision, he's been waiting. Let's bow our heads. If you're here, the Bible says all you got to do is repent, turn from your sin. Say, God, I'm turning away from that. I'm sorry, I repent. And I'm with everything in me, I'm going to try to live for you to the best of my ability. And you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Not just today, but for every day from now on. He is Lord. And you're going to follow him to the end. His way. You're going to put yourself aside. Little me, big God. And you're going to serve him all the days of your life. Anybody in here that would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Lift your hand if that's you. Anybody in this place would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today.
Anybody at all? You may be watching online. No different for you. Doesn't matter that you're not here in person. Make the decision right now. It's the greatest moment of your life when you say yes to Jesus. Like I read, heaven rejoices, heaven celebrates when one person repents turns to Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer. You can pray this, pray along with us. You can pray in your own words. The words aren't as significant as the position of your heart. Come before him right now for a position of repentance and willingness to allow him to take control and to be Lord of your life. Just say something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that I am lost and alone without him. I'm utterly bankrupt. I've tried doing it my way and I fail every time. But Jesus, you made a way. You loved me when I didn't love you. You went to that cross willingly. You took my, the judgment I deserved. You took my sin and my shame and my sickness and disease. You paid the price for it. You took it to the grave. Because of that, I repent from my old way of living. I repent from my sinful thoughts and attitudes and ways of life. And I declare, Jesus, that today you are my Lord. You're my Savior. And I'll follow you all the days of my life, no turning back. Be my everything. Help me walk this life and be everything you called me to be. And ask the Holy Spirit, just say, Holy Spirit, fill me empower me that I may accomplish your purposes in the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662 890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277